Hey there, welcome to Takeaway with Sam Okus, a podcast from Nation's Restaurant News. I am Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief here at NRN, and this is the show where I give you an all-access pass to the restaurant industry's most influential decision makers. This week, I'm talking with Lauren Coulter. She's the co-founder of Biscuit Belly, a breakfast concept out of Louisville, Kentucky that has grown to nine locations, serving a high-quality menu of biscuit sandwiches and other morning staples out of a fast, casual setting. Biscuit Belly has only been around since 2019, but it is actively franchising and soon will have a presence in seven states. Lauren joined the podcast to talk about the entrepreneurial spirit that's underlying everything she and her co-founder husband, Chad Coulter, are doing with the business and how the brand's catering program in particular is helping Biscuit Belly connect with new consumers. In this conversation, you will learn more about why consistency across your system starts with a good training program, how local store marketing is a great complement to digital efforts in maximizing your reach, and why a successful catering program must have a say yes mentality. Jumping now into my interview with Biscuit Belly co-founder Lauren Coulter. Also, don't forget to stick around after the interview as I will share my six takeaways from this discussion, actionable insights that you can take with you on the go. Okay, sitting here with Lauren Coulter, the co-founder of Biscuit Belly. Lauren, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. So we're going to talk about breakfast, brunch, lunch, all the things that Biscuit Belly is specializing in. And we'll get into franchising. I know you guys are growing through franchising. Um, I'm sure most people listening to this have probably heard about Biscuit Belly. You guys have been around for four years now. You've really made waves in the breakfast, fast casual space in particular. But for those who need a refresher, tell us a little bit about the, the story of how Biscuit Belly got started. Yeah, we are you know, a breakfast, brunch, lunch concept that really focuses in on the hearty biscuit sandwich. So my husband and I are both actually pharmacists by training. Um, we both went to pharmacy school and moved to Louisville, Kentucky and had experiences there in the pharmacy realm and decided that we would kind of open up a restaurant not having any clue what we were doing. And it was called Luvino. It was a full service wine bar. And we grew it to five locations. And the whole time, I'm not kidding, like week two of us having the first Luvino, my husband and a couple of our chefs were saying, we should open a biscuit place. We should open a biscuit place. And I was like, no, because we're from Georgia. And I'm like, these people in Louisville are posh. <laughs> they are not going to like the biscuits like they do where we're from. And so basically, you know, after a couple of years, if anyone who knows Chad knows he just wears, you know, like wears you down. So he wore me down and we did start to see kind of the evolution of a couple biscuit concepts. We were in Colorado. We went to Pine State Biscuits. Um, we saw Maple Street down in Florida. And so like, okay, maybe this is a thing. So we decided to open up Biscuit Belly. We opened in May of 2019 in Louisville in kind of an up and coming area of town called New Loops. And it did really well. And, you know, we were kind of that classic story of a line out the door down the block on weekends and 
just a really fun spot. And, you know, to top it off, we closed at two or three on the weekends. And so we still got to have that kind of work-life balance piece that I think a lot of people are wanting now. So fast forward, we opened a second location, um, had another one in the works in COVID. And then, of course, everything shut down. And we really, it was tough for sure. Like every restaurant, I feel like had kind of that moment or many moments of why are we doing this? Do we want to keep doing this? And um, decided to push through. But we were able, the, the good thing that came out of it is that it gave us the capacity to really be able to focus down on what we needed to do for franchising. And anyone who's in the franchise space, like it cracks me up when people who are not in franchising are like, I'm going to start franchising this random thing. And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, it is so much work and so much money and so much time. And so, you know, we were able to utilize that time efficiently. And in October of 2020, arguably the worst time ever, we began franchising. And so uh, we have now brought on four franchise partners and we have stores in obviously Louisville, Lexington, um, Ackworth, Georgia, one in Huntsville, one in Hoover, Alabama, one in Chesapeake, Virginia, and then um, about to open a second one in Lexington next week, their training starts. And then the first half of next year is going to be pretty crazy. We've got a store in Raleigh, a store in Norf- Norfolk, 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 um, <laughs> Norfolk, and then a couple in Charlotte that'll be opening. So just a lot happening for our tiny, tiny team. And sure. it's it's all good, but you know, it's it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's very exciting to see. Um, you know, I want to rewind really quick because I, pharmacists, you were pharmacists, yeah. and yet for some reason you seem to excel at multi-unit restaurant concepts. What what was the leap? How how did you guys make that transition and why did you make that transition? You know, I mean, the first night that I ever met my husband, he he said, I'm going to own my own business. Like, that's my goal. Someday I want to own my own business. And I think at the time he thought it would be a pharmacy. And then it's just, you know, it's it is hard to make a, a living as a independent pharmacist, I think, with insurance and everything else is just wild and so he kind of backed away from that a little bit but we (laughs) this is random but i was visiting a girlfriend in alabama and they had this thing this concept there where you would go and paint and drink so you would paint a painting have you ever seen these Mm -hmm. and um my husband was taking students on a study abroad and i literally he was in australia when i texted him and said Dude, we should do this in Louisville. And so that was kind of our foray into small business ownership. It did really well. There was a very low barrier to entry. It, um, it, it, it was able to kind of fund these ideas. And, um, I think that, you know, some people call it luck. I think that my, my husband is just a diligent, like, crossing eyes or what is it 
crossing, yeah, crossing T's, dotting I's yeah. type of person. Um, he's also, we, we run on the system of EOS. So the entrepreneurial operating system. So he is our visionary. And I think he loves coming up with ideas and figuring out like, how can we do this? How can we do this? And so to be candid, I mean, franchising has been more of a challenge because you're not rebuilding, you know, you're, you're really trying to perfect what you're doing and make things simpler. And, um, you know, coming from a full service restaurant with chefs that had, you know, each of our stores had unique menus and then um, a lot of creativity, I would say. And then moving into Biscuit Belly where like, <laughs> you know, we just need rinse and repeat. Like when people come to Fast Casual, you want to know that, you know, the Chipotle is the same no matter where you go. And that's what we want at Biscuit Belly. And so we had a hard time because some of our team members, you know, they were chefs and they were like, uh-huh. like we'd walk in, there's nine types of jam and we're like, we have one jam. <laughs> so um, I would say that's been probably the biggest challenge for us as we've grown is, you know, that consistency and people want, people just want a consistent product. So, um, but I mean, it's also fun. It's, it's kind of like menu optimization and being innovative and all of those things. We've learned a lot around, around all of that. So. So, and when you open a full service restaurant and then go to the fast casual world, I mean, you say you had five locations for your your first concept. You must have learned a lot about the restaurant industry in, in doing that business. Yeah. And, and then you apply that to this fast casual breakfast concept. I'm curious, you know, what lessons yeah. you pulled from your first foray into restaurants that you then were able to apply to Biscuit Belly to make it so successful? I think, you know, our first concept being, being full service, we had 60 to 70 wines by the glass. So it was a big, like, it's one of these places that had the, the wine bottles in the holders so they stayed good. And so we were able to to make them last a lot longer and sell higher-end bottles and people could get them by the glass. So I think the biggest piece is just, it was so training-intensive. And I think that's probably what we've taken away from that the most is the need for a good training program to make sure you have consistency among your stores. And that has, you know, applied time and time again with Biscuit Belly. And actually that, that really helped shape, you know, when we went from just like our little team of who, you know, we started with to, okay, we need to bring on some people that know what they're doing, that have done this before. Our first big boy, big girl hire was in the training team. So um, I, I think that that is probably the biggest lesson that we learned was how to apply that, you know, in this concept. And and biscuits being, you know, so you, you saw this as you guys were operating your first concept. You thought, oh, biscuits, that's a, that's a good opportunity for us. You're, you're from Georgia, of course, biscuits all mm-hmm. over the South. Um, what was the opportunity you saw in biscuits and in breakfast? What did you think was possible with that category? Well, I think Biscuit Belly kind of was bringing together the three hottest types of fast casual concepts. So, you know, breakfast is booming and then uh, fried chicken was booming. (laughs) And then fast casual is booming, especially after COVID. Like 
look, you know, fewer and fewer sit down dining full service places. People kind of want to order, they want to sit, they want to go. Um, I think, you know, this concept, it really did help, at least in Louisville, where we didn't really have many breakfast concepts at all, let alone biscuits. And, you know, people in Kentucky are, they can be finicky about their biscuits. Um, <laughs> people everywhere can be finicky about their biscuits, but, <laughs> but I think it also, you know, Kentucky is a great place, especially Louisville for like this Northern, Southern, like kind of what, mi- mixing melting pot of, yeah. of people and cultures and backgrounds. And so it's been fun to bring you know, something Southern, traditionally, truly Southern to, to the area and showcase it to people who, you know, are from a Northern state and maybe never had it. You know, we, we recently added grits to the menu and I can't tell you how many times people are like, that stuff is weird. And I'm like, just taste it, just shove it in your mouth. It's so good. And, and they love it. So kind of some of these fun, but I would say that's the fun part of, of what we do. <laughs> sure. Other <yeah>. than eating. <laughs> Well, and it's interesting, you know, I think, uh, so I, I had the uh, uh, pleasure of living in North Carolina for 13 years. Mm. Um, now I'm in Columbus. I'm not so far from you. And yeah. so I have the perspective of having lived in biscuit culture and mm-hmm. now living without biscuit culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting because you mentioned Kentucky being kind of a middle zone. And you're so right, because obviously geographically, you and I are only about a three hour drive apart from each other. Yeah. But a world apart when it comes to like the sort of Southern inspired culinary presence. Um, yeah. And and that leads me into your expansion um, so far, which has been into the South. Um, if I were to guess, mm-hmm. you would have a lot of opportunity in the North where we we lack these options. But you guys so far have grown into the South where they do have a lot of options. I'm curious what behind that. I don't know. I, I, I would love to tell you that that was intentional and that we know exactly what we're doing, but it really hasn't been. I think that for us, it's the easy option and people are comfortable with this sort of Southern comfort food. And and they've really come to us so far. Um, I would love, love for us to get up to Columbus or um, I don't know, Cleveland, like some of the, a little further. Are you in Ohio before I actually? Columbus, Ohio, yeah. Columbus, Ohio, okay. So, yeah, Columbus, Cleveland, I mean, just close enough. Like, we we are trying to be intentional about our footprint and not, you know, have a store out in Arizona right now because we need to make sure that <laughs> everything is good and um, right. everything's on brand. And so being close enough to have tight oversight of that, I think is really important as we're so new. Um, but I would love to get up there. So, hey, if you know, if anyone listen is in Columbus and wants to be in the multi-unit restaurant space, you hit me up or is in the restaurant space. <laughs> Please, oh, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I second that. Um, and well, in, in franchising itself, you mentioned, I mean, franchising was a kind of a different business for you, obviously. And it, and oh, it yeah. is kind of, it's not anti-creative, but it is a different sort of beast when it, from the sort of entrepreneurial creative piece of this yeah. that you, your husband clearly loves. Um, why was, why was Biscuit Belly so right for franchising and vice versa? What was, why was franchising the answer for you guys? Well, we, you know, franchising is a great opportunity for growth when 
you know, you don't necessarily have all the capital to be able to do it all yourself. You know, in a perfect world, we would fund this whole venture entirely, you know, Chad and Lauren, but we, we don't have the capacity to do that. And with brick and mortar, especially it is, it's a challenge, you know, it costs over a million dollars to open a biscuit belly when it's all said and done. And so we also, you know, it, the growth is one thing, but then I feel like it's very important, you know, while Biscuit Belly is new, franchising is not. Like, we are not recreating anything new, any new wheels. And uh, Louisville specifically has such a rich culture of franchising with Papa John started there, KFC started there. Like, Texas Roadhouse is technically not a franchise, but they have this really cool model and it feels very franchisee. And um, so we have all this kind of knowledge around us. And I think that... It being, you know, ripe for it was also due to just, we are focused. I don't know how to say this eloquently, but we've really been focused on franchise partners who are in the restaurant space because we know that, you know, growing is great if you can grow it and it be consistent, but consistency is difficult. Like it's so much harder than one, one thinks, you know, you think. You have a recipe, follow the recipe. Well, some people do it this way, you know, and so um, we've really been looking, we looked initially for partners who are in multi-unit restaurants, many who are in uh, more like multiple, multiple concepts. And luckily, like our Alabama group, they are in nine to 10 other franchise concepts and they actually kind of like early stage concepts. They are a voice for us. I mean, my husband is texting and talking to them constantly because these people have done it. They are knowledgeable and we get their uh, brain, <laughs> like their, their brilliance without having to employ them ourselves, you know? So that was, you know, it's, it's a way to bring on partners in a way without, you know, us having to give up any piece of our business, but also having people that we can trust, I think has been super helpful. And Biscuit Belly has been pretty fun to, to do overall. Um, I, I think that if you go to one, it's a, it's a place people like to be. And so it, whenever we bring people in, you know, it's not, a, we're not like hard selling people. We're like, this is it. We're fun. <laughs> if you want to join us, come on, you know? So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that gets me into talking a little bit about the sort of competition of breakfast and brunch as well, um, because you mentioned franchise groups looking at startup companies like Biscuit Belly. Uh, that seems like such a great fit for you, because if you are a big franchise looking into uh, the breakfast concepts, a lot of them may be you know, saturated or they may not have an opportunity. And so you, you would look naturally to the startup world to find a good um, scalable breakfast franchise. Yeah. Um. And, and so, uh, again, talking about the competition, we've seen a real boom, call it the last five years in breakfast concepts. But it, it seems to me that it really does skew toward full service or family dining, mm -hmm. mid-scale, whatever you want to call it. You know, first watch, eggs up grill, yep. another broken egg, um, all, all, you know, fine concepts in their own right. But but tell me your yep. assessment of the category and how you see Biscuit Belly kind of finding its position within it. That's a good question. 
I, I love First Watch, and I think that they have set a great standard for full service um, breakfast concepts. And I think, though, sometimes people, how do I say this? I think people like Biscuit Belly because it doesn't feel quite as big of an ordeal. Like, you you know, you can sit, order your food, and be out in 20, 25 minutes. So it's it's a very efficient place. And I think that where we differentiate ourselves is, is obviously we are one of the few that do the fast casual and and you know that's presented its challenges in some ways because that's definitely more of a younger thing like we still have people come in the restaurants who don't know what to do and i i'm always amazed at that i'm like chipotle you know (laughs) all these places (laughs) that's the norm but uh that's also sort of been a challenge of like teaching people here's how you order here's what you do um but then aside from that, I think that we have a really fun and funky uh, bar program for breakfast. And, you know, it's outside of just like mimosas and juices. It's, you know, fun coffee cocktails and Kentucky coffee and we throw bourbon in it. And, you know, just some of these kind of unique differentiators, I would mm-hmm. say, help set us apart. <laughs> help set us apart. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, to, I think recently, maybe in the last 12, 18 months, Cracker Barrel started offering mimosas and, you know, they'd mm-hmm. never done that. And so I think people see this need. Um, and, you know, while we have mimosas and Bloody Marys, and I mean, uh, our Bloody Marys, like if you ever look at our Instagram, our Bloody Marys are, yeah, they are beautiful. <laughs> um, they, they taste great, but they're, they're beautiful too. And the alcohol piece differentiates us. And then the other piece that I think, speaking of pictures and Instagram, that really differentiates us is just kind of that social media cult following that we have. Um, if you've, you know, our imagery is insane. And I think, you know, our food lends itself to that, you know, Thing that happens when people set down our the plates, our food owners set down the plates, and then people pull out their phones and immediately they're taking photos of what they're eating. So for the first year, you know, through COVID, we didn't have a full time marketing person, and we used customer c- content as our primary marketing strategy. Wow. So that you know, I think that's really leveled us up in a way that some of these other brands. Not knocking them, but you know, just the standard eggs and toast, like it just doesn't look as pretty. And so, mm-hmm. um, people like to showcase what they're doing and what they're eating. And I think that our concept allows for that and even <laughs> kind of says, like, Hey, take a picture of me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so interesting because I mean, it kind of gets back to like the, uh, you know, experience, the main experience, I guess people mm-hmm. look for in their breakfast. And because you mentioned first watch and these others kind of being a different experience. And 
And I think you're so right. I mean, because it's it, it, first watch. Um, yeah, I grew up on Bob Evans. And, you know, these kinds of concepts are like the diner, right? That That is yep. the replacement of the diner, which is you sit and you stay a while. Um, I knew somebody growing up, kind of a, a second grandfather figure in my life, who went to Bob Evans every single day, sat at the bar for, yeah. uh, you know, that cup of coffee. That's a that's a choice uh, of an experience um, that a lot of these concepts are following on. But you mentioned how you can get in and out of Biscuit Belly in 20, 25 minutes. That skews more toward the crowd that's, you know, m maybe more convenience oriented, maybe on their way to work. Um, so I guess I, what that brings me to is like, how would you describe your customer, like that core demographic of customer? Oh. Because you have products that could satisfy that. I'm going to sit here and drink my coffee and stay a while, mm -hmm. but also maybe that millennial working millennial, you know, kind of moving quickly through life, but still has the standard for quality. How, how would you describe yep. that? Yeah, that's a good question. And we did a lot of work last year to really identify who that core customer is so that we can you know, go to markets where more of them are and make sure that we are advertising appropriately for them. And we learned that one of our core customers is that savvy techie millennial, you know, ordering online. They want to walk in, pick it up. Sometimes they'll, you know, order, walk in, pick it up and sit down, but they just don't want to deal with waiting in line. They're on their phone. They're, um, you know, then while they're eating, they're snapping photos of what they're eating or, you know, taking selfies with their drinks. So that's definitely one of our core customers. And the other big one is just young, uh, dual income, one kid family, maybe, you know, one and a half, one on the way, two children, families, um, where, you know, the people are still kind of in that, is it Ziennial, like that age bracket oh, yeah. of, appreciate yeah. the yes or I, I think it would be like an older millennial i think like um almost 40 now you know appreciate sure. good food good quality are willing to pay for those probably higher end products because they appreciate real food and they know that what they're eating is you know hey at least i'm eating i know that this biscuit isn't just full of like um you know weird things that'll make it stay good for 12 years. You know, this was made this morning and I appreciate that it's from you know, butter <laughs> that we yeah. mixed up today. So um, that's really, that is our primary demographic. And I think that our whole concept has, it, it hits perfectly in this stage of like technology and, um, you know, photos and Instagram and TikTok and all these things. It really leans into some of that naturally. Sure. Well, I feel seen because you just described me. <laughs> late, late 30s, two kids. I, so this, this, yeah. this, this is sort of my vibe. I get that. Yeah. Um, well, how, how much does that become like your North Star? Because I, I, I feel like that must also determine neighborhoods you grow into, maybe a little bit yep. more urban, maybe certainly suburban, um, certain income level you're, you're targeting. Yep. Um, so how much does that determine some of the decisions? I mean, more and more, it's guiding them. You know, we're, we, when we look at the stores that are knocking it out of the park and the stores that are not, it's easy to draw lines here. And, um, you know, you always want to reach that different customer. You always want, you know, we have five or six options that, you know, make up 95% of our sales, but then only two make up 
you know, 65%. So if we could capitalize on the, that 30 or so other percent, then man, we'd be, we'd be killing it. But it's, it's very difficult to do that. And so we have leaned in from a, not just a site selection perspective, but a marketing strategy. You know, what are these people like? What do they do when they leave Biscabelli? Where do they go? <laughs> um, you know, figuring out how can we place ourselves in the areas that, you know, the things that they typically do already exist and are already in their norms of travel and, and driving around. Um, it, it truly does become our North Star. And I think the times that we have moved away from that or done something different, you know, we've kind of regretted it. And so, Marketing, you can spend a lot of money on marketing and um, really honing down on this piece is key in so many ways. Um, but I will also add that in the last three months, so I mentioned that we run on EOS and my rock has been to be our Louisville stores, local store marketer. And that's basically... Right you know, a person that goes to uh, local chamber events and, you know, networking things and reaches out and engages and, um, you know, visits businesses door to door, especially as we've been pushing this new catering program. And I will say that that is the one place like LSM. There's all these like digital marketing strategies that I feel like we're, you know, honed down on who our core customer is. But then outside of that, LSM, the work that we've been doing, you hit everyone. You hit all sorts of people in all sorts of demographics. And it it works. <laughs> so I don't know. It's I, I'm really kind of befuddled right now. We are, as soon as we hang up, actually, we're going into strategic planning for the next two, two and a half days. And this is a big thing is, you know, we've never prioritized from a dollar perspective employing a person to, to be that local store marketer. And we have relied heavily on digital. And so we're just trying to think through, you know, should we shift some of those dollars and what impact could that make? And so, yes, more to come. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it makes me think too, and I want, I'm going to get into the catering because I know that's um, big news you guys oh, yeah. are, are, have out there, but still talking about kind of this demographic aspect and yeah. um, breakfast again, maybe I'm projecting here, but breakfast to me feels maybe more so than any other day part rooted in tradition, rooted in mm -hmm. kind of what you did growing up, what your expectations are. Um, and, and you guys are, are kind of pushing the envelope on that because your your menu innovation is more outside the box than most of these other uh, breakfast and brunch concepts. And so, um, you know, as you described, you, how should you go more digital because, you know, you're innovating mm -hmm. with your marketing, but your, your menu innovation really is kind of your, your bread and butter, so to speak here. Mm -hmm. So tell me about that part of it, how much you guys feel like pushing the envelope on menu innovation helps mm -hmm. to keep Biscuit Belly fresh and drawing customers? My husband loves the idea 
of menu innovation and changing our menu and LTOs and all these things. And I will tell you, it drives me crazy. (laughs) Now, we have spent the last year, uh, I'd say we started in February, really looking at our menu, doing menu optimization, asking customers what they wanted. We did some customer uh, surveys as well as did some, what are they called? Where you have like focus groups around, okay. You know, we, we talked to our customers that come in once every three months. So we asked them what would make you come in once a month instead of once every three months. Um, customers that come in every six months, what would make you come in every three months? And the thing that we heard was, you know, it's so good and I love it for a birthday or an event. But I don't really think about it just for like a normal, a normal, you know, Thursday morning. And so we went to the drawing board and and did try to come up with some options that lean healthier. Um, So now we've got omelets now on our menu. Um, We do a build your own brekkie bowl. So you can, you know, we have a lot of veggie options. I will say we get shout outs from vegetarians all the time. And as people are wanting to eat more vegetables and um, that I think we have some great, great solutions for that. But a brekkie bowl. Um, and then we added in some fun things as well with like different types of pancakes. And um, we do now a um, some sort of a, I haven't had it. Oh, a chicken and waffle type of thing. So. That is like my husband's core. You know, he loves that stuff. You know, let's find something new. But then what people don't realize is to make a new product happen at even just, you know, 10 stores like we have, it's a lot of work. So you have to talk to your, you know, purveyors, make sure everybody has all the things. You have to train these people. You've got to um, get it all out, you know, at the same time. And big companies have this down to a science because they, they, uh, employ, you know, do kudos people to do it. And we are not anywhere near there yet. So, um, we, you know, just new menu items in general, it can be a big challenge. But I think this year, the fact that I think we rolled the new products out maybe in July and immediately, especially in some of the areas that lean suburban, that, you know, are heavy, um, women traffic, they've done really well. And so I feel like we're making the right decisions uh, on that front. And then, you know, with LTOs, as we move forward, we're looking at 2024 and, you know, what are things that we have on our menu that we can highlight versus what are things that we can bring on with as few ingredients as possible? Or how do we use our our current, you know, claw, um, pantry as efficiently as possible? So um, really learned a lot about that whole process this year. and. Oh, but it, it's a it's a lot of work. <laughs> well, and, and the franchising component too, right? I mean, I, I, with menu innovation in a franchise system, yeah. I'm sure there's more communication you have to be doing with your franchisees, oh, yeah. more runway you have to get them. Of course, you mentioned sourcing, yep. um, and, and you just you you have sort of this added pressure of you can't just add something to the menu just to see if how well it does. You have to sort of right. validate it and make sure it's been consistent. So. Um, how, how do you find a balance, I guess, between this franchise system you're building and the menu innovation? Because again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, 
to some degree, franchising inherently has to temper creativity because you have so many other people to consider. So, So what's that balance that you strike there? Well, LTOs specifically are a really good way to test things and see, you know, should we bring it on the menu? Did it flop? Um, I think that's something I've learned is that that's, you know, like the McRib has been back, what, like 15 times because they know it works and people come out for the McRib. Um, We did a LTO last year all around peaches and we're leaning into that harder this year because it, or in 24, because it did so well and people love peaches. And again, you know, that's nice because it kind of blends with our Southern and Georgia and all the things there. So I actually forgot what your question was originally. That made me go down this tangent, but balancing franchising (laughs) and innovation. How you figure that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, what we've learned, you mentioned it actually is just the, the runway, the communication piece and the runway is the biggest thing. Um, you know, with our local stores, we can move swap on a dime, but you can't do that when you have other people's money and people in place. Um, we have definitely got improvements that we could make in the next year. We have <laughs> these crazy spreadsheets and um, about just how we're going to be doing this better and already have 2024 built out. And, um, so, yeah, it's it's a lot, but it's it's fun. Sure. Yeah. All right. So getting into the catering, because you guys have just announced this new yeah. catering menu. Um, tell me about catering, um, the program in general, because it seems like an opportunity. I know a lot of other restaurant companies have been exploring catering the last year or two, certainly since, um, you know, people got back to offices. That, that's that been one, I think, mm-hmm. um, factor in all of this. But it's also just a really good new revenue stream, I think, that restaurants can explore. Mm-hmm. Why is catering, um, why was that something that Biscuit Belly decided to pursue how has that been going for you so far well we so we always have sort of done catering but we didn't put you know any marketing any we we didn't put any real muscle behind it i would say and so when we our catering program was really just like what do we already do that we can just rinse and repeat and do but you know, we sell these big hearty biscuits and a lot of times they don't travel well. And you know, you have to be really aware of what you're doing in mass versus these you know, smaller things. And so last year at our strategic planning, that was a big goal for this year was how do we, you know, people are constantly, the one thing people want to see in franchise world um, is, you know, year over year, same store sales increasing. And so what, you know, what is a way that we can increase incremental sales and catering is a great option. So we had totally revamped the menu, did loads of testing around it, um, did a lot of like testing with customers. So, hey, I need to do a catering for 20 people and people in our city would say, oh, I'll take it. (laughs) And so then they would give me feedback like this was difficult. This was this was great. This tasted good, but it didn't stay warm. I mean, little things like that, that really add up. And so we spent a lot of time on the menu. And then, I I mean, to be candid, we're still like, we've rolled it out. We rolled it out in October, uh, mid-October. And 
even just before we got on our call, I was putting in a catering order for somebody who is a repeater. And um, I was like, God, this is hard. Like, I know what they're wanting and I can't figure out how to do it. So, um, you know, so we're still having to work on kind of how do we make this easy? People that are in catering, a lot of times it's the administrative roles at different companies. And so we've been doing loads of outbounding and targeting to those, those specific people. Um, and you know, so far <laughs> it's gone great. People are loving it. I think people, um, you know, they're used to getting, I hate to be like this, like I love, I love Panera, but mm -hmm. how many times have you had it at a breakfast meeting? Like 400,000. And, um, so I think people are just looking for something different and at a, in a meeting, especially where you're going to be like, oh, I'm in here all day with these people, um, you know, livening them up with some really hearty, good, delicious breakfast out of the gate. I think it's fun and people are, are enjoying it. I've gotten nothing but great feedback and it's been, it's been great. <laughs> sure. Well, you mentioned that marketing piece of it that, you, I mean, mm -hmm. there is, you do have to market your catering program. Oh, yeah. You know, people might hear that word catering or uh, marketing and they think, oh yeah, you know, just talk about your brand. But you got to, the catering is a very specific um, totally business separate. channel. Yeah. And so yep. when I think of, of course, yes, offices, but I mean, you think of church, you think of mm -hmm. local businesses um, having events, you think of mm -hmm. um, families wanting just a big family gathering, right? So like catering, there's a lot that you can do with it. And I think to your point, I'm 100% behind you where love Panera, but how many Panera cater breakfasts can you have to your point? Yeah. Um, so what does marketing look like? Because you mentioned you do it for the Louisville uh, market, but um, mm -hmm. how are you also encouraging your franchisees to market their catering? What are some of the levers you can pull to get new clients for catering? Well, we are, the goal, the last three months, I've been doing this kind of LSME work with the intent of sharing that with franchise partners. Um, we've also, you know, we are testing a couple different like outsourced companies that, um, you know, will either call or go visit places or um, separately in a totally separate market. We're testing just like emailing, email blasting people um, who are in these specific roles of administrative like assistant or um, office manager roles. So we're testing three different types of avenues for marketing, specifically to catering, to just see what works so that then we do have that blueprint up here is what works. And, you know, some of it is like on LinkedIn, I am constantly pinging, you know, people on LinkedIn and Hey, do you do catering for your company? If so, I'm going to shoot you over on menu. The cool thing about that is I can do that for my franchise partners, you know, mm -hmm. here. Um, but when it comes to that being a presence, building relationship, um, the fact that at, you know, 642 this morning, I had a text from a woman who ordered for 120 people last Wednesday at 6 a.m. <laughs> um, the fact that she texted me this morning and said, hey, can you do this? I want to send breakfast to a customer of ours, a treat. Um, can you do it tomorrow? Yes. Like they will have to also be yes people. And, and I think that's, that's really 
what I've learned is the key for catering, at least for us, is you got to be willing to say yes and 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 try it. You know, if they are like, typically we do our sandwiches and we cut them up and we do all this thing. And, and this woman said, hey, we got 120 people that we need you all to feed. They need to be individually wrapped with a thing of fruit in them. With, yes, let's do it. You know, um, so a lot of catering is is not like standard uh, menu item, menu item, need menu item. There's a lot of nuance to it. And so having the right people in the right seats who can do that and are willing to say yes and make it happen, I think is, is super, super important. Yeah, that's a real, um, Lauren, before I let you go, um, you know, I just wanted to touch really quick on the future, get belly. Cause yeah. you know, of, of course, I can tell you and Chad are very entrepreneurial. You're serial entrepreneurs. I think you can say by now that you've launched multiple businesses. You, you mentioned Chad, especially being very much creative. Um, but, but again, of course, building a, a franchise, uh, is all about systems and consistency yeah. and, you know, B biscuit belly, assuming you guys have big aspirations for growth, you know, you could be in this for the long haul, you know, working oh, yeah. at Give me a glimpse at, at what your your thought are your thoughts are for the future. What you want Biscuit Belly to become, and how you guys, um, you know, as a as a couple, as entrepreneurs, plan to really still, you know, leave your fingerprints, I guess, on it. Yeah. Well, I'll say my role in our company is integrator, and so I do best with process and rinse and repeat, and um, you know, taking these ideas, filtering out things that we can't do or maybe we cannot do now and making happen the pieces that we can. And so um, I, I'm really excited. My husband is loving the pieces that he is doing. And, you know, when at this stage, we've been able to now bring on two people who have done this before, who know what they're doing. And every time we're able to bring on a new body like that, we just kind of salivate with, oh my God, like this is an amazing human. And okay, we can do less of these things that we don't know about and more of the pieces that we want to do. So he's really, he loves, you know, the real estate piece, laying eyes on all the locations and visiting them, um, kind of hanging out in an area that we're eyeing and, you know, just checking it out, getting the vibe. And, and I think his gut is <laughs> pretty smart. Um, and, and then, yeah, I mean, I hope that we can continue to bring on people smarter than us and really grow this thing. Our, our 10 year big goal is, you know, biscuit domination. It says with biscuit bellies all over the U S but I think if we could make it up a couple, um, you know, up, at least Ohio, <laughs> you know, maybe in the Pittsburgh area, you know, uh, Philadelphia, so, you know, up there and then extend up over in, into Texas and up. I think that would be really great for us. Um, but we got to find the right partners and we're not, I'm not going to say that we're, we're picky about it, but we just, we know that the long-term success of this company is built around who we bring on now, like early. And so we want to make sure that those are the right people. And that's really our, our biggest goal right now is just bringing on the right people and, and 
and grow in this thing the right way. Yeah, no, that's great. Lauren Coulter, the co-founder of Biscuit Belly. Lauren, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, great. That was my interview with Biscuit Belly co-founder Lauren Coulter. So what should you learn from this interview? Here are my six takeaways. My first takeaway is that consistency across your system begins with training. Uh, Biscuit Belly, when they knew they were going to grow, when they decided to expand, Lauren says the first big boy, big girl hire, as she put it, was the training team. Because what they had learned from their previous concept, the first concept they had launched, was that training is everything to making sure all of the stores are consistent. Of course, you should be you should be developing a good training program no matter what. Even if you're a one-off independent restaurant, you need to make sure your team is trained well. But as you start to grow two, three, four, or even more locations than that, if you want to create a consistent experience across those stores, which you do, you need to make sure that there is a very concise and very solid training program in place because then that way you can ensure that consistency and, and consistency that always leads to better brand affinity. What you're doing with your uh, with making sure things are consistent is making sure that customers have a trust with the brand that they build, they have an expectation that they build, and that can carry you on to more and more stores. But it starts with a good training program. My second takeaway is that to give your new concept its best chance for success, incorporate more than one trend. Over the years, as you see new restaurants pop up, a lot of them often will be playing with trends that are out there in the marketplace. And of course, that makes sense. You want to tap into what customers are interested in. But if you invest in just one trend alone, you may run out of steam as soon as that trend run, runs out of steam. Uh, Biscuit Belly, Lauren described how with this concept, you know, they were checking really three boxes. Fast casual, obviously, it has been popular for about a decade and a half now. Uh, fast casual is a big trend. Breakfast has been a big trend for several years. And then uh, finally, chicken, because they incorporate chicken, a, a breakfast uh, biscuit sandwich with chicken. Um, you know, they were really checking that box too. And by pulling all of those trends together, they were ensuring that there was kind of something for everybody in a way, but they were also really ensuring that there was a customer guaranteed to come in because somebody's interested in that trifecta. If they had only focused on, say, chicken and hadn't really leaned into a you know high quality creative service format, um, or if it had just been a regular old chicken sandwich shop without being these great breakfast biscuit sandwiches with chicken, then they might have only had a very niche following, or maybe they would have struggled to really uh, present themselves in their marketing and, and make clear what they're all about. But by pulling together these multiple threads of trends that are out there in the marketplace, they were really able to maximize the impact that they had upon launch. My third takeaway is that your franchise partners are great sounding boards. Uh, Biscuit Belly now has four franchise partners. They've expanded to nine locations in multiple states. And Lauren described of how Biscuit Belly, they're looking for uh, multi-concept restaurant franchisees, which makes sense. And, and I'm sure if you're in franchising, this is who you want to be franchising your brand as well. You want somebody with a lot of experience. You want somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, and, and, you know, of course, when you have somebody who is at scale with multiple concepts already, you also get access to their resources to be able to grow your brand. Um, but as Lauren described, you know, they're, they're actively texting with their franchisees to run new ideas by them. She says her husband, Chad, especially, is doing this and, and talking to those franchisees who have the experience, they have the know-how, 
They've been in this, these situations before. And so they can become a great sounding board for innovations and uh, new menu items and, and whatever that might be. How can you use your own franchisees to bounce ideas off of them, to grow, to innovate, to uh, roll out new ideas and initiatives? Leverage them as much as you can because obviously they care <laughs> because this will affect their stores, but also they have experience that can be a really great value to you. My fourth takeaway is that your customer's social media content is a cheap and effective marketing strategy. If you don't have much of a marketing budget, uh, if you're an independent restaurant concept or just a small brand and um, you're looking for creative ways to market your brand on a shoestring budget, look at your customer's social media content. Now, Biscuit Belly has this unfair advantage that their menu items are very Instagrammable, for lack of a better term. Uh, they're very visually appealing. And so as Lauren says a lot of customers come in and take a picture of their food and post it to social media. Um, and cleverly, they were able to use those photos, those posts um, as their marketing, uh, because as Lauren said, they didn't have really much of a marketing budget. Of course, you, have to, you should do this in a proper way, make sure you have the proper per permissions and things like that. But in general, customers are thrilled to be included in this. So how can you tap into your own social media followers, the content that they're putting up on their channels? to leverage it for your own marketing. It can be a great cost-effective way to get the message of your brand out there without spending too much money. My fifth takeaway is that local store marketing is a great complement to digital efforts in maximizing your reach. Uh, digital marketing, of course, is what we've been talking about now all the time for the last several years, of course. There's so much opportunity in promoting your brand through various digital channels, and you should continue to do so. What's, of course, especially great about digital marketing is how much you can target your core customer. So you can really find those specific customers who are exactly right for your brand because digital channels give you that ability with the just massive amounts of data that you have on folks. But do not discount local store marketing. The traditional pounding the pavement, going door to door, that can still be very, very effective, especially if you are in one market or you're just, uh, you know, you have strong presence in a particular market. You should get out there, go to local businesses, talk to local customers, spread the word the old-fashioned way. As Lauren put it, I thought this was really interesting. You know, she said, yes, they're doing the digital marketing to find that core demographic, which she described as kind of, you know, that older millennial family, higher standard kind of person. Um, but through local store marketing, she says they're they're able to broaden that reach because local store marketing can affect everyone. If you go to a local business, a local church, a local um, organization, nonprofit, whatever it is, chances are every type of person is represented across those. So by connecting with those organizations or businesses, uh, you are able to put your brand in front of so many more new consumers. Um, yes, it is it is not quite as targeted as digital marketing. But again, it's sort of like the sh sawed off shotgun approach as I see it, right? Like that is going for a big reach, maybe with a smaller impact than digital marketing, but still an impact and still reaching those customers that you may be um, not reaching on the digital channels. That leads me into my sixth and final takeaway, which is that a successful catering program must have a say yes mentality. Why that brings me into this one is that catering is such an important, um, should be such an important part of your local store marketing. As you hit the pavement, as you knock on doors, catering can be one of those um, channels that you really put in front of local customers, especially if you're going to local businesses and the catering that they might need. That's a good way to connect with them. 
but it brings me back to my, my takeaway here about why a successful catering program must have a say yes mentality. What does that mean? I really liked how Lauren described um, the efforts they've put into catering, which they just revamped their catering menu. You know, they're still kind of new to catering. But Lauren said this really interesting thing about catering, which is that there is a lot of nuance to catering. And when she says you have to have a say yes ment- uh, mentality, what she means is that your catering customers are going to have a lot of demands. It's not really a black and white issue where you can say, here's this, this, and this, and out you go. You know, these are, these are your options. People will call and say, I, you know, have this kind of person who needs this kind of product. Oh, I, this is the type of room or facility we'll be in. Can you provide for this? They have a lot of different demands. Again, it's that nuance that Lauren talked about. And what she said is, you know, you have to have that say yes mentality to build this program. You have to say yes to all of those demands. Uh, as Lauren put it, you know, you might need somebody who is in charge of your catering administration to stay on top of these things, but you should encourage that person to do everything they can to honor the wishes and desires of the customer. Because as you do that, they will keep coming back to you. Think of that business that has a weekly, um, you know, conference uh, with employees that is catered, you know, no knock on Panera, certainly. But as Lauren and I talked about, you know, Panera really owns a lot of this catering space and for good reason. But there need to be alternatives. Why wouldn't they turn to your brand for that weekly conference that they have with employees. Um, think about how you can build the relationship with your catering customers. And really, it does start with that saying yes to all of the um, requests that they might have for your catering menu. Those are all my takeaways for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe to Takeaway wherever you listen to podcasts and leave your feedback. You can also email me at sam.ocus at informa.com. Thanks again and talk to you next week.